Is it possible to glean the inner meaning of Scripture on your own? How might the Bible give us clues to its own inner meaning? How is God active in us when we read the Word? We dig into these topics and more right now in the NCE Spotlight, your home for fresh insights from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. All right, welcome to this week's NCE Spotlight. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you, Chelsea. So nice to be here. Yeah, and so this is our time to come visit the desk of the New Century Edition and get a window into what insights or gems, as we call them sometimes, that you're coming across in your ongoing work of translation for the New Century Edition. It's not surprising that Swedenborg has a lot to say in Secrets of Heaven, which is the work I'm uh, editing just now, a, a lengthy exegesis on the books of Genesis and Exodus, mm-hmm. that he has a lot in there to say about Scripture, the nature of the Bible, the nature of revelation and how it communicates with us. And so I chose three quotes on this topic. One of the things that I do, as I may have mentioned to you before, when I go through this edit, is that I have a special color that I use for underlining gems, um, uh-huh. just wonderful things I don't remember reading or seeing before. Right. And then I gather these together. So right now I have 93 of them from Secrets of Heaven, Volume 4, and uh, and there will be more because I have to reread the whole volume again for continuity and that kind of thing. So it's a fun part of my job, and it's great to have a little outlet to be able to share these gems with you. I know. You're keeping us in business. So Secrets of Heaven, Volume 4, is it's a little confusing, but it's really part of Swedenborg's Latin. He issued Secrets of Heaven in eight volumes originally. Okay. And we've split all but one of those in two, and that's how we get 15. We would have had 16 if we split all of them in two, but one of them was small enough we didn't have to split. Oh, okay. Wait, pause for some trivia here. So... Swedenborg's Latin, Secrets of Heaven, equals eight volumes, is what you're saying. That's right. And then the New Century Edition set of Secrets of Heaven, which is being rolled out over the next several years, and two volumes currently exist, that's going to reach a total of 15 volumes, you're saying? That's right. Okay. So Swedenborg's first volume turns into two volumes of ours, and then his second is just one volume of ours. And so now I'm in the beginning of the Latin volume three, which is our volume four. It's confusing, but that's how it works out. (laughs) Of course. Okay. Yep. Yep. Good. Good. And, oh, well, also, so the, the, um, the greenbacks, as you call them, like the full sets of Secrets of Heaven that the Swedenborg Foundation, uh, has available right now. How many volumes is that in total? That is 12. And it's been traditional for a long time to publish Secrets of Heaven in a 12-volume set, strangely. What's odd about that is that there's only one place, besides for sort of page one and the very end of the last book, there's only one place in the entire series where the volume ends, where Swedenborg's volume ends at the same place as the English volume ends. Mm. 
and that bothered us when we were charting out the work, and we thought, no, we'd rather we should use his breaks because otherwise you end yes. up with odd odd things where you have prefaces in the middle of English volumes. It happens several times in <laughs> in the in the twelve volume series. You suddenly there's a preface. Oh, it makes my goodness, more sense that... when it's at the beginning of wow. a volume. I didn't. That never quite clicked for me before, but I get it. That I've, that's bothered me, but I never knew how to put my finger on what bothered me about <laughs> it. You know, but that it's like, wait, this volume has not finished, and yet I have to go find this other book to finish. You know, to get to the rest of this chapter or something. So right. it's going to be this more rational in the New Century Edition series, where you have each of Swedenborg's volumes being divided into two, except for Volume Two, which will be one volume. And be called Volume 3, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it will be Volume 3. Okay. We have cracked the code of Secrets And of that's Heaven. the next one to come out. So when I was gathering some gems for this podcast, I thought, well, this one's good. Let me see where that comes from. Mm. This is the first sentence of that Latin Volume 3. The first sentence of Secrets of Heaven Volume 4. And it's striking to me how kind of in your face it is, frankly. Interesting. Uh, it's not long. Let me read it to you. When people stay with Scripture's literal meaning alone and do not seek out an inner meaning from other passages in the Word to explain it, mm. they are delusional. Wow. <laughs> That's the opening salvo, and he goes on from there. <laughs> And so what interested me about this passage, you know, it'll be familiar to people who are familiar with Swedenborg's view of the Bible, the thought that there's an inner meaning. That's kind of a drumbeat that runs from one end of the work to the other. But he says here, people who stay with the Scripture's literal meaning and do not seek out an inner meaning from other passages in the Word to explain it. Yes. And isn't that exactly what it he does. If you're familiar with Secrets of Heaven, he'll bring up something that has a, a lion or the moon or grapes or some, some image like that in it. And then he'll go to all these other passages in yes. Scripture, whether you're particularly familiar with them or not, and show that it has the same meaning across the board, even though there's are different authors writing across hundreds, even thousands of years. Uh, the The symbolism in it remains consistent uh, across the whole. And so it, it interested me that it's both kind of a very challenging statement he makes at the beginning of this volume, but also that it kind of has his whole approach. Yes. Very succinctly stated there. Oh, that's so interesting. And it helps me understand why he does all the quoting of other passages. There are even times when he'll say, I can't explain this obscure figure in this genealogy because he's not mentioned again mm. in the Bible. You know, if if he had been, I could show you a comparison of passages, but I can't do my usual thing here because this is the only place his name ever comes up. Wow. And that that actually reminds me of a letter that I found of Swedenborg's to um, Thomas Hartley and... Uh, Messeter. I can't remember what his first name is. Um, it's a strange one. His We doubted it for years, but we found absolute archival uh, testimony 
that his first name is Husband. Okay, it is Husband. Husband Messiter. <laughs> right. Unusual first name, yeah. We thought maybe his, you know, his wife came to the right. door and says, Husband, <laughs> husband isn't here Messiter, right now or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll put this in the description or something if we include this, but he writes this letter and sort of gives Hartley and Messiter this prodding to like, hey, somebody should keep doing this work on correspondences in the Bible because it's all there kind of for the finding. You just have to do this thing where you're doing what you're saying he wrote right here, which is go through and confirm all from all the different places in the Bible, the, you know, kind of crack the code of the science of correspondences. Um, and that was so uh, remarkable to me because I feel like some people think that, well, Swedenborg just did it all, you know, but then this was evidence of him kind of saying, here's the key, go keep working on it yourself. And so it's almost yeah. like this line, he's kind of giving us that key of like, here's what you got to do. I love that. And in fact, being a little insulting to people who don't <laughs> read it that way. I yeah, mean, delusional, right. delusional. Is, is pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And wow. there's a related passage I wanted to share with you from the other end of the volume of Secrets of Heaven, Volume 4. This is section 3436. Those who read the Word, meaning the Bible, in order to become wise, mm -hmm. that is, to do good and understand truth, receive instruction matched to their goals and desires. The Lord flows into them unawares, enlightening their minds. When they become stuck on a problem, he helps them understand it from other passages. Whoa. Now that rocked me too. I just love <laughs> yes. that. So the Lord being kind of intimately present, I actually came away feeling like, was that a little bit autobiographical there, Swedenborg, you know? Oh, yes. When he gets stuck, there's, you know, how does he know? Well, he's experienced this. You know, if your ah. purpose is to become wise, <laughs> so the purpose is really crucial. It's not yes. to gain money or to gain fame or whatever, but if you really want to become wise in order and, to do good and understand truth. Right. Like, well, in his definition of wisdom, it's not just an intellectual, you know, memory bank. It's all about what are you going to do with it? That whole, yeah. That's doing right. good. Yes. Yeah. Being a good member of society, that kind of thing. So interesting. They receive instruction mm. matched to their goals and desires. The Lord flows into them unawares. So they don't know the Lord is there. Enlightening their minds, when they become stuck on a problem, he helps them understand it from other passages. <laughs> I just love that. So for spiritual practice, it's like, because I don't know, I, I have a habit of like, if I don't have a lot of time, I'll just open the word and read something, you know, like, okay, here's a little nugget that I can sort of take with me. And I might read a little bit before, a little bit after it, you know, that kind of thing. But but this is really suggesting to me that it's like, hang on, if I feel stuck or if I don't get it right away, flip to another part of the Bible, you know, find something else that helps to maybe clarify and just know that the Lord is flowing in, doing that work, helping me in that in that goal, you know, whatever that question or reason mm. is for me coming to the to the Word to get that guidance. And it's a it's a powerful critique of a kind of method 
mm-hmm. that has been practiced a lot even up to the present day, I think, the, of a kind of a proof passage approach or where you just pick one scripture and kind of hammer it, hammer it, hammer it. But it's somewhat taken out of context. Uh, you don't look back and forth. It's just a very different approach. I, I love that. Yes. The third little gem, and this is quite a bit longer, Swedenborg, as he often does, goes back here. This is number 3432. He goes back to, well, what was it like in the earliest times on this planet? Mm-hmm. What was the nature of revelation back then? Did they have a written text? Was it written the same way it is now? Right. So he says, concerning the word, in earliest times, when the church was heavenly, mm-hmm. zing, <laughs> <laughs> there was no word because the people of that church had the word written on their hearts. The Lord taught them directly through heaven what mm-hmm. was good and therefore what was true. Mm-hmm. Good always comes first, yep. enabling them to perceive both concepts from love and charity and to learn both concepts from revelation. For them, the real word was the Lord. I'll mm. hit pause there for a second and just say, wow, okay, so that was the nature of the revelation was a kind of direct connection with the Lord, yeah. instructing them, inspiring them. And so kind of shocking for him to say there was no word and then to say, well, the real word (laughs) was the Lord. You know, that's the purpose. What we just read about that happens to people unawares now was more conscious in ancient times when people were more heavenly. Oh, yes. And then I wanted to read the, the following paragraph about what happened after that because it's just, it's interesting to me. After this church came another that was spiritual rather than heavenly. To Swedenborg, that's even though it sounds really good, that's actually a a step down. It's good, but not as good as heavenly. At first, its only word was something collected from the earliest people that contained representations of the Lord and symbols of his kingdom. Mm -hmm. For the people of this spiritual church, the inner meaning was the actual word. They also had a written word containing both narrative and prophecy, which no longer exists. Hmm. Elsewhere, Swedenborg calls this the ancient word, and which likewise had an inner meaning relating to the Lord. The wisdom of that era consisted in the use of representation and symbolism in oral and written communication on divine themes within the church, and other topics outside the church, Hmm. as is clear from the surviving manuscripts of those ancient people. Now, I think this, too, is worth thinking about a little bit because um, one of the characteristics of ancient literature, he says, even if it's not on theological topics, is that it's written in a representation and symbolism that is unlike what we have today. I think of ancient mm. Greek myths, mm-hmm. the myth, myth of a horse that, that you know, uh, paws at this, this spring, and the spring comes up and 
the nine muses or Athena being born out of the head of Zeus, you know, they all have that feel of something supernatural, not ordinary physical reality. Totally. And I think this also affects the discussion about where Paul's epistles fit in, because hmm. at some points, Swedenborg says that they don't have this um, continuous right. or this this intermeaning in series. But then he says that everything written back then had representation and symbolism in it. And you can see the symbolism in what Paul writes. Yes. About putting on the armor or or about the helmet of salvation or or the the knight, you know, and, and things like that. So I think it's something worth keeping in mind. And I think we don't understand that early literature because we've we we think the um you know, the Iliad is just all about people fighting. Huh. But I think Achilles represents the ego and you know, in other words, yeah. I think it's possible to to search for the meaning of those texts as well, because they were written by people for whom this was the chief thing in their wisdom to communicate in this different way. So it's just interesting to to glimpse back down the halls of time and to come back to our time again. It's beautiful that even in this rather dark time in some ways spiritually in which we're quite cut off from the spiritual world through that written revelation the lord is still able to be present when we're unawares Mm -hmm. and show us by connecting the dots you see up you see this over here how could that be if it says this over here think about a little more deeply and maybe you'll see Mm. i love that and I love how it just, it's its global, you know, like you're saying, where just the ancient texts or oral stories from all over the world, it all comes back to God being, influencing us, wanting to lead us and guide us, even if we're unaware of it, but that we can go look for that inner meaning and find wisdom in all of these places. It hints at an explanation for the mystery of why so many early myths have a flood story. You know, not just the Bible, but but there are other myths that have a a flood that destroys everything. And uh, Well, if they were thinking correspondentially back then, because a a physical flood that covered the entire world uh, doesn't really work. You, You can't really, there isn't enough water to do that. Yes, but this gives a whole new context for making sense of that because something I love about those different mythical stories is how they have so much in common and yet they're each very unique sometimes you know at the same time there's something a little bit different you know the different characters or things at play uh and it's fun to think of there being particular wisdom contained in in those different articulations you know like they were all connecting to that same source of revelation, even though it was coming out a little different. So, oh, it's so, so great. These these gems are something else, Jonathan. Thank you so much for taking this time to share some of that with us. Well, it's great to be able to share them and 
hopefully even whet people's appetite to see them in context. Uh, because as I say, the work is just full of these and someone else would find a different set. Yes. You know, they're, they're just uh, full of treasures. I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights from the New Century Edition translation and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. As we travel into the past, we find it is eminently relevant to the present. And if you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to Swedenborg.com slash donate. Give if you can, receive if you need. We're all in this together, and we're so glad you're here.